Weekend Show with Ken Kidney. Good morning, good evening, good night, and welcome to another edition of The Weekend Show. My name is Ken Kidney, and I am joined by my interesting co-host, Garrett. Say hello, Garrett. Hi, ho. On the show this week, we bring you The Weekend Words, as always. We give you our Netflix pick of the week. And in our spotlight, we discuss the highlights from this year's E3 conference. So, Gar, before we get to all that, what do the people need to know about this week in the world of Gar? It's been a sad weekend. It's the end of Phineas and Ferb. Phineas and Ferb, there's no more days of summer vacation The 104 days of summer vacation to finally run their course, Ken. School has come along to end it. So there, I think there was more than 104 in the end, if I'm correct. There was more than 104 episodes. Who knows how many things they did a day, though? That's true. They could build a roller coaster and fly to space all on the same day. Yeah, there was rumors of a movie. Is that still in the pipeline? The movie's dead and gone. There, There is a spin-off about the, the agency, the Perry Lathalos agency, OQA, the organization without a cool acronym. <laughs> <laughs> that's the name of if you've never watched that's the kind of humor you get out of Phineas Ferb it's great fun so it's uh, so it's about the animals who are secret agents yeah and uh, we'll probably have Doofenshmirtz in it as well and their secret identity is the fact that they wear a hat yep that's that they're everyday regular house pets until they wear a hat there's Perry the Platypus there's Peter the Panda there's Potty the Potted Plant <laughs> which is just a potted plant with, with a fedora on it named Potty <laughs> yeah Potty the Potted Plant okay Gar would you for the people at home Without spoiling anything, because people may want to revisit it in recent, in sorry, sorry, recent, in future years, would you like to eulogize Phineas and Ferb? Uh, well, Phineas and Ferb, the basic premise is they build something crazy and lunis, uh, totally like ridiculous in their backyard. Their sister Candace is like, oh, I want to bust you. I want to tell mom. And every time they she gets the mom there, the thing has disappeared. And it's disappeared because Perry the Platypus is trying to stop the evil Dr. Doofenshmirtz from uh, taking over the world and usually the thing he does to try and take over the world ends up getting rid of the thing that Phineas and Ferb built in the backyard so it's kind of a, a neat merging of kind of A and B stories mm-hmm. and I think like that's a very novel idea that usually like say a comedy you have your A story your B story your C story and they don't really intersect yeah or is this the A story and the B story always come together in the end yeah so like it's 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 kind of a familiar premise it becomes very familiar a yep. very familiar element of the show but at the same time, it's it's the kind of thing you go, ah, that's yeah. how they did it. Um, they had a lot of crossovers as well. With Marvel and Star Wars. The first thing that Disney said, we're going to do a Marvel crossover. The first kind of Disney property that used Marvel characters was Phineas and Ferb. Same with Star Wars. And they did a really good job with it. It should be noted, Garrett is actually wearing a Perry the Platypus t-shirt at the moment. I miss, I'll miss Perry. Oh, oh there you are, Perry. <laughs> For those who are confused now, that's p- the noise Perry the platypus makes, or he's tr- attempting to make that noise. That's apparently what platypuses sound like, Ken, or platypi. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you're you're gargling and choking at the same time. It sounds like you have uh, a piece of garlic bread lodged in your throat. Phineas and Ferb was actually stuck in developmental hell for 16 years. 16 years? It was first pitched 16 years before it was picked up. So it should have been on the air when we were actually children yeah because dan poppenmar and jeff march were the creators of it march even uh were the creators of it and they used to walk around with like a phineas and fur binder that if they came across fox kids or nickelodeon or cartoon network they'd always just here's our phineas and fur pitch and it wasn't until 2006 that disney channel said all right we'll give you a pilot and then all right we'll give you a first season 
and it became one of the most successful shows, one of the most successful properties Disney, the Disney Channel had. And it, it had a longer run than most shows did as well. It ran for eight years, four seasons. Yeah. I mean, usually, usually with with Disney programs, it's gonna three three seasons, maybe four, and then done. The the rule of thumb is, I think, sixty six episodes, and they're out. Yeah. Because that's the uh, the right amount of episodes that can, that they can syndicate it for one episode every day of the week for a certain period of time. Exactly. Uh, Nickelodeon tend to operate under a similar model. Yep. And like, no matter how popular the show is, like they have their teeny boppers who are on top of the world. It's getting all the ratings. They'll still cancel it after yep. sixty six episodes. Three seasons in the route, maybe four if they're lucky. And it's uh, Phineas and Ferb is kind of we had the golden age of TV or uh, children's TV comedies in the nineties with the likes of Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain and Johnny Bravo that kind of stuff, and, and Dexter's Lab. And I think this is Phineas and Ferb kind of launched the silver age of television animated children's comedies, stuff like Adventure Time, stuff like Regular Shows, stuff like Gravity Falls and Steven Universe all owe a lot to like Phineas and Ferb and what the kind of the story structures they established. A lot of those guys tend to work together as well. And yep. they came from the same, a lot of them came out of yeah, the same schools in, in Los Angeles. So it's kind of cool that these people are, are becoming the, the head of these, these programs and the head of these cartoon networks and Disney animation, because it's resulting in some really quirky and the, the 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 best part about it is that it appeals to kids and kids love it but if you're an adult watching it you won't beat your head against the wall and it doesn't talk down to children i hate those animated shows they're like oh fiddly widdly what are you doing with the bippy bops it's just like stop talking stop treating children like idiots these shows are, are very smart they're razor sharp yeah or like mickey mouse clubhouse like do you see number five is it over there no, <laughs> it's terrible. It's the I know that's that's aimed at a younger audience. That's aimed towards like preschool people, but it's just such rubbish. But they had a show Disney called Little Einsteins that actually really kind of you know had classical music and it had actual stuff that was really good for children's development and yeah. their their brain development that didn't treat them like absolute morons. So I think there's there's a balance you can strike there. Phineas and Ferb was one of the best shows at doing that. Yeah, it's it's, it's a really positive show you know there's a really positive message about the the abundance of creativity you can have an imagination and positivity and the power of thinking you can do anything while also being extremely funny and occasionally extremely weird yeah and like almost and it's very on on the money in terms of its satire as well yeah like there's i watched an episode today and there's a joke where there's carol the intern of the kind of spy organization and there's major monogram who runs it and Carol makes a joke that Major Bonagram kind of scoffs at. It's like, you laughed at it earlier, Major. It's like, it was a pity laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, yes. And, and like that might go over a child's head, but that's kind of the joy of rediscovering a show when you're yeah. older. You go back and watch it and you're like, I didn't get that before. And these shows will age well. It's not like, you know, shows that most, like you watch Pokemon these days. It's the kind of show if you're eight, you love it. Yeah. But going back and watching it now, it's like, oh, geez, this is terrible. Mostly because it's extraordinarily formulaic. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, there's there's a gym and then he he loses at the gym and then there's a, a potential roadblock on the road to the next gym mm-hmm. and there's another roadblock and then maybe a third one and then we're at the next gym and he lost that one too, but then he she gives him the bat. He, he gives him the bat, yeah. <laughs> he gets it by default because the gym burned down or something and he saved a Pokemon. Yeah. There's, I mean, how many, like, I think I counted it. He got Maybe um, half the badges out I of pity. I think even, le- even more. I think he earned about two of them. Like the last one, the building exploded and it fell into his hand. 
But I think he did win at that point, didn't he? But they didn't. They just, yeah. Then they on these Mewtwo and murdered him. <laughs> they did, he won, and and then and then they were like, "No, you can't have it." Ha yeah. ha ha ha! Evil. You see, Phineas and Ferb was in many ways just as formulaic. You know, they build a thing. Candace tries to bust them. She fails to bust them, and Perry stops Doof from doing whatever scheming is. But it's brilliant what they did with that formula each and every week. They did something creative and something interesting and something usually pretty hilarious. Yeah, and they had a good voice cast as well. Brilliant voice cast. Because they had um, the fellow who was in Everybody Hates Chris. Because um, Thomas Sangster did Ferb. Vincent something. Uh, yeah, it? Vincent Martella. I think that's it, yeah. Something like that. He was in Everybody Hates Chris anyway. Yeah. He played Phineas. Uh, Thomas Sangster, who you might know from About a Boy or Everybody Hates or Game of Thrones, did Ferb. Um, Caroline Ray from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. She did uh, Phineas's... And Hilda. Yeah, Phineas's mom. And they did usually have a... Like, we were talking about my love of Alice and Janney. She did uh, Doofenshmirtz's ex-wife. There's loads of people. Jane Lynch did voices. Who uh, does Doof- Doofenshmirtz? Is that... Another? I think it's one of the creators, isn't it? I think it's Dan... Uh, Dan Povenmire or Jeff Marsh. So... I'm 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 guessing it's going to be on Netflix eventually. Uh, the first three seasons are on US Netflix. They're not currently on the Irish one. So if you want to cheat and somehow get US Netflix, by all means, we highly recommend. Yeah, watch it. it. You it, you'll have a great time. And then go on and watch the Lexus Gravity Falls or Steven Universe or Adventure Time or regular show, and you'll have an equally great time. Yeah, they're bonkers. But they're, they're fun. Super weird. Like Adventure. I was watching the first few episodes of Steven Universe yesterday, which is very much in the vein of Adventure Time and being extremely weird. <laughs> Yeah, it's, what do you think? It's funny and it's it's really kind of charming and very kind of positive, which is fun. But it's like super weird. Like what's going on? Especially Adventure Time. Adventure Time, there's there's just no rules to what happens in Adventure Time. I think they just basically stay up for like two or three days and then whatever hallucinations they have, <laughs> yeah. then that's the episode that, for that week. We're getting some good children's animation these days, which is nice. Yeah, it's kind of a, like, and you're getting it in film as well. So it's kind of a golden age of animation in, in general or a second coming if you will or a third coming perhaps because we kind of had the 60s and the 90s then yeah so it's the third coming it's interesting that the tv and the um the, the film animation kind of comes in tandem exactly i suppose like what what you have with the tv is is the, the proving ground or the training ground for the big leagues yeah so how was your weekend I was busy. I was uh, I was furiously trying to finish this podcast today because I was applying for a new job in in which I had an interview yesterday. Uh, I pretended to bake a cake as part of my presentation. <laughs> what, what what were your ingredients? Uh, milk, mm-hmm. uh, flour, sugar, three eggs, and a cherry on top. Ooh, wink. Because you're the cherry on top of the entire entire business. <laughs> yeah, I'm the cherry. Yeah. It was very subtle, very meta, if yeah. you will. But I thought it was a disaster because there was flour and and sugar going all over the conference table. And they looked like at, me, at me like I was insane. And then I produced an actual cake at the end. Well, uh, you, you did it like um, Art Attack style. It's yeah. like bundled a bunch of things. It's like, this is something I prepared earlier. Because what I have now is completely useless and yep. doesn't look anything like it should. But they're actually, the, the people who were there were actually really impressed by it. And I was like, Okay, I'll take it. Yep. So I'm waiting to hear on that. Wish me luck on Twitter at TWSKK. Solid social media plug. Hashtag Team Ken. Hashtag Hire Ken. Hashtag Hire Ken. I like it. Uh, other than that, I had my one year anniversary with my girlfriend. Ooh. I put a ring on it. Not in the way that you think, though. I uh, gave her uh, 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 kind of a, a promise ring, if you will. 
she liked it a lot. So, you know, that's major brownie points for me. She really is a good way to a woman's heart. It is. And I got her concert tickets as well. So, you know, I should be able to get away with my antics for a few few weeks. You do have considerable antics. <laughs> yeah. And, she, and she, she is wearing kind of thin. But I'm like, you know, I did put a ring on it. Totally worth it. Exactly. You you put up with this and you get something shiny once yeah. in a while. So my week was quite boring. I think cartoons, cartoons. I spent my weeks watching cartoons. Cartoons yeah. are much more interesting. So coming up next, we have the weekend words. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Weekend Show podcast with Ken Kidney. Our country is in serious trouble. We don't have victories anymore. We used to have victories. But we don't have them. When was the last time anybody saw us beating, let's say, China in a trade deal? They kill us. I beat China all the time. Donald Trump enters U.S. presidential 2016 race. The U.S. business tycoon Donald Trump has announced that he will make a bid for the White House, promising to make America great again. I am officially running for president of the United States and we are going to make our country great again. You know, you know what I love about that? That you know, they'll all say what's the greatest country in the world and they'll nearly always answer America, but they yeah. all run on a platform of this is what we have to fix, this is what we have to fix, this is what's wrong, this is what's wrong. It's like clearly not that good, is it? And nearly all of them aren't native Americans as such. They all have like ancestry outside of America, so they're not actually American yeah. in a sense. Well, they are American, but they, like if their parents hadn't gotten on the boat, they wouldn't be American. Anyway, the 69-year-old is a wild card candidate and increase in an, in an increasingly ludicrous pool of contenders, which is inflating by the week, it seems, who are all bidding to be president in 2016. I believe there's about 15 Republican candidates now. I think it's 16. It's 16? That's yeah. so many people that are just entirely deluded. I think he's like he noted his decision was on the back of a very hard Mitt Romney loss. He said that that was a, a campaign that was there for the taking that should have been won. In fact, he called it an easy win. Would you agree with that? If it was such an easy win, why didn't he run then? Yeah, he talked about it, but then he never really did it. In fairness, it's it's a gift to anybody that wants to talk about politics because he'll have a gaff in a minute. So it's just like, you know, Jimmy Fallon will have a great time. John Stewart, was like, who has like five weeks left, he's like... This yeah. is my parting gift from the gods. It's like Donald Trump's like, Trump. Yeah. But uh, his net worth, I Google this, is 4.1 billion. That's a lot of money. Yeah, so he has no uh, shortage of campaign money. But I just really hate this this thing. And it's a really an epidemic in America where billionaires who always think they know better, think they can have whatever they want. So if they want the presidency, they can buy it. And the sad reality is it's true. Because Mitt Romney came very close, too close for comfort to winning that presidency. And he's a former CEO himself. Good old Mittens. I don't mind Mittens. His boxing match against Evander Holyfield recently. <laughs> Which was like the, the fakest match since Rocky won, maybe. <laughs> it looked so sad as well. I was like, eh, eh, like handbags. I mean, Evander Fo- Holyfield is quite old now, but I reckon he could still mess you up if He'd he wanted to. He'd knock you out in a second, yeah. It would be funny if he went off script and actually did knock just, him out. Just knocked Mitt Romney out in about three seconds. He could do it if he wanted to, I'd imagine. Romney goes down. Romney <laughs> yeah. goes down. Um, he hasn't tried again this time, has he? He's not in the race? Not yet. And I, I think he said he's not going to. Which means he will. But you never know. 
So quote, quote says, that was an easy election to win. I actually think probably easier than the next one coming up. There's no excuse for not winning that. The suggestion there being the next one coming up is going to be easy to win too. So do you think him and Trump should have a boxing match and the winner gets to be the Republican candidate? Yeah, or we put all the Republican candidates into a series of The Apprentice. But then he'd be biased because who who decides who wins? I don't know, his son? (laughs) Or like the the Republican Ivanka Trump or Donald Trump Jr.? Well, they'll pick or we can, we can have it like a public vote deal. So the people are still deciding, but they have to do uh, stupid business tasks, which are just kind of proxies for product placement. So instead of boring voting in a booth, yeah. we, we take it to TV and make it a reality show. It would be much more entertaining. Coming up next on ABC, we choose the Republican candidate. By having them do pointless little marketing gimmicks. Exactly. That sounds like an amazing show and I would watch it. Come up with a jingle. Now you can be president. He's been heard in, in his speech denouncing U.S. foreign policy and economic policy and vowed to reverse what he called U.S. decline. Not even sure what that really means. No, don't know what that means. Another thing he said is our country is in serious trouble. Also not alluding to what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. And we don't have victories anymore. What does that even mean? <laughs> I don't know. I think I, 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 for, I, I tried to turn on subtitles during it, but it really it didn't help. There wasn't any closed captioning that could understand it. what the hell he was saying. I loved his, his speech. He just came down to he was in Trump Tower and he just came down on an escalator. You know, that was his big entrance, just standing on an escalator coming down going, hey, guys. And that's one thing I actually haven't got in my notes here, but I wanted to note it that he came down to Neil's, Neil Young's rocking in the free world. Yep. And he's like, first of all, I'm a Canadian citizen and I don't support you or your <laughs> or your candidacy. Or your politics, don't use my music ever again. That's a pretty, pretty strong denouncement. I think he would have had to pay for that, though. So do you think he gave back the money? I don't know. Maybe he had the rights through something else. I don't know. Possibly. He does own a lot of stuff. Trump Trump was like on Fox News recently. It's like, I have a foolproof plan to get rid of ISIS. And then they were like, so what is it? I'm not telling you. I can't tell you right now. I'll tell you when I'm in office. It's like. Good job, buddy. Genius. You hold it back. Yeah. And then like, then when people vote you in, then you reveal it. That you have no idea. What? I, I, and then you deny you ever said it. Yep. And then every news outlet in the entire world reports on you saying it. Yep. You'll have the Daily Show with Trevor Noah showing the clip of him saying it. And then it's like, just deadpanning to camera. It'll become that easy. It was very racist, his... his announcement as well wasn't it i think you have some quotes there guys you'd like to yeah, share with our public essentially basically said all mexicans that come to the u.s are either rapists uh bringing in drugs or they're criminals which okay, is okay that's great yeah you're one of your your border mates one of your like trading partners it's like not nah, you're all rapists and drug smugglers yeah, like basically like he he took a bash at every minority in america because he said when was the last time you saw us beating, let's say, China in a trade deal? They kill us. I beat China all the time. <laughs> I, I, his most of his speech was like, "Look how good I am." Yeah. It's like I've done all these deals. I've built a, a business empire. Look at all the buildings I have. I essentially think this entire thing is it's an advertising it's done for him because, like, the the announcement so, was in Trump Plaza. All he's talking about is is all his Trump things. I'm surprised he didn't plug The Apprentice at the end. Yeah, yeah, watch NBC for The Apprentice. So he's he's jettisoned the Mexican vote. He's also jettisoned the Mex uh, the excuse me the Asian American vote. Yep. Well, he'll get the rich people. They're not very fond. Of, like he doesn't seem like a very likable fella. Like I, I, like, and the sad fact is because he's a celebrity, he he will get votes. Oh yeah. 
If he, I don't think he'll last that long. No, you don't think he'll get to the to, to the ballot? actual voting. No, I think he'll be long by because I think this is eighty percent publicity stunt for him. And he said something about Japan as well, Gar. Do you think? Yeah, that they don't beat Japan either, and that America's the dumping ground for the world's problems. So basically, he's just like basically that's code for I hate immigrants. Yeah. So I uh, hate everything that's not American, even though American is America is literally a nation of immigrants. Yes, and rather, rather crucially, the the Mexican American contingent is going to be the largest in America in the next ten years, ever growing. So he's basically shot himself in the foot from the first day he's opened his mouth. Uh, I'm not going to go out on a limb here, but I don't think we're going to be seeing Trump 2016. What do you think, Gar? No, it's interesting. Jeb Bush announced this week as well, and he yeah. he fell the right back down because no one cares. Like, who cares about you, Jeb Bush? You might actually win. Trump. Trump? He got trumped, if you will. Yes, he did. If you can believe it, yet more bad news for FIFA this week. I bet Mr. Blatter is counting the days until retirement now. Our sport has a bright future ahead. Every day around the world, new federations spring up. Will be the Fédération Internationale de Football Association. FIFA. FIFA! FIFA-backed vanity piece, United Passions, reported to have cost $27 million to produce, is officially the biggest flop in US cinema history. FIFA is said to put up as much as $20 million of the budget themselves. A supposed history of the organisation starring Tim Roth, Sam Neill and Gerard Depardieu made a swift exit from theatres this week after taking in a paltry $918 at the box office. That's not 1000 That's $918. And zero cents. The film is said to have only two willing punters in Los Angeles and one in Phoenix. If you're that one person in Phoenix and you read this, it's like, Oh, I'm in the news. I'm on the news today. Not even the recent buzz caused by the recent FIFA controversies was enough to entice people to even buy a ticket. That's but, that's so much money to lose. Tw- like apparently, as you, as you said there, they put up twenty million to basically say, "Look, hey, look how great we are," and have it released the same week the organization nearly crumbles. You you spend all that money, and then Seth Blatter only chooses Tim Roth to play him. Yeah, could he not have got Peter? Or Depp or somebody? Or Zac Efron would be my choice to play me. Do you think they had too much integrity to take, <laughs> to take the dough? What's, what's ironic is it did really well in Russia. It made about a hundred, well, not really well. It made about $120,000 in Russia. So like Russia, they almost admire that level of corruptness and hypocrisy. So they're just, they're just giving even more money back for the 2018 World Cup yep. they were awarded dubiously some might say it's essentially probably every official in the Russian FA that went to see that it's like look we went to see your film thanks guys thanks for giving us the World Cup we went to see your film now we're even it's essentially a giant propaganda piece though basically it's the it's a, a modern Lenny Reifen style film that you might get from Adolf Hitler <laughs> yeah a little extreme but yeah it's, it's the same idea a, I'm not saying Sepp Blatter is the modern Hitler but he is definitely at least the football Hitler. He is football Hitler. 14% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes from 174 reviews, Ouch. which I find skeptical because I don't believe 174 people saw the film. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe on bootleg, perhaps. Maybe they downloaded it out of sheer curiosity. I, I w- I'll watch this film when it's out. When I can watch it on like TV or on Netflix. It's being panned like 0% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. I think when it comes out, we'll review it on the podcast. Maybe we'll make it a spotlight one week and we'll, yeah. we'll break it down scene by scene. <laughs> 
poor Tim Roth and Jared Dipertu and Sam Neill. Sometimes you just got to get paid, Gar. Yep. It has a 0% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Not a single person saw even have a remotely redeeming feature in this film. Some people are calling it the worst film of all time. In a, in a world with birds, birds 2, Sharknado. The, the Room. The Room, which is the Citizen Kane of bad movies. Yep. Literally, if you haven't seen it, it will take years off your life by watching it. It's got again the cult following for how notoriously bad it is. People watch it just to complain about how terrible it is. There's Sharknado 2. The yeah. upcoming Sharknado 3. <laughs> so I think this is going to go down in history as like one of those films. Like uh, like down maybe 10 years down the line, like it will be adopted by hipsters as a movie that they watch because it's terrible. Watch it ironically. And, and Tim Roth will go to screenings and it will actually make more money than it ever did. <laughs> yeah. In its original screening. At but least at least it'll make a history of some sort. It's it's kind of rare that films get kicked out of the cinema like that. That's very little money. Because th- theatres are in the business of making money. If one person goes to your screening, they're not making any money. In fact, the, the, it costs them more probably to rent that film or to, to bring the real in that they, yeah. than, than they've actually made from it. So they, they, they're like, this costs us money, damn it. I, that's the, I feel sorry for the poor theatres that actually showed this film. It was on the news in New York and like this guy came up and he was like am i the only guy going to see this film like yes you are and i didn't like well like it's kind of some might say it's not a very accurate barometer because america is not a soccer country or a football country as such but at the same time like even the Did worst of films like does breaks a thousand dollars in the yeah. box office does does some kind of business like those the worst that you see on wikipedia those sundance darlings you know make you know maybe Fifteen thousand dollars yeah, or something like that. Like a few hundred thousand. Yeah, but Depp's in trouble. He can't. He can't seem to stay out of trouble these days. I think he's just happy to leave. Yeah, he's gonna get out. Get out while the going's good. I actually think that's this is the reason he hung on. He wanted his film. Yeah. It's like he's gonna ha- he's gonna buy this on Blu-ray and watch it every morning to cheer himself up. This is the dream. Someday I will be played by esteemed actor Tim Roth. Yeah, who we convinced to do it by throwing cash at him. <laughs> Literally throwing cash. I wouldn't be surprised if it was FIFA just showed up at his door and just started throwing cash in his face until he said yes. Just follow the trail of cash, Tim. Follow it. Probably uh, that fellow Warner and they got to do it because he's he's he loves the bribes. Although if you if you say that he'll he'll sue you. I hope he calls us out. Yeah, he, yeah he's gotten in a fight with John Oliver. Yeah, we 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 need to prepare our, our, our ominous music that he had in his video and some fireworks and some. Duh. Yeah, some, some Hollywood trailer sound effects. Jack, we don't. I don't need any people or idiots in Ireland telling me what to do. I know what to do. I I will decide when I will release this information, or I will decide when I will throw money at Tim Roth. Yeah, because I think that's the biggest failure of a podcast so far. We haven't started any public beefs. Yeah, we haven't got we haven't got on uh, like our tiny podcast haven't hasn't got on mainstream news because. Some crazy officials taken offense to it and decided to make it a bigger deal than it is. I really hope he does now. Oh my god! If you're listening, please do it. We will. We will. We will come to your country, which is Trinidad and Tobago. Trinidad and Tobago. And we will. We will personally thank you with a wreath of flowers, and then mock you some more in front of your face. And we'll record it for the podcast. So we're going to lure him in with the with the niceties, and then we're going to go in for the kill. Jack Warner, we're coming for you, brother. Is your dream to be the oldest person in the world? Well, unless you're 115 years old, you might have a way to go.
Geraldine Talley, the world's oldest known person, has died in Michigan 26 days after her 116th birthday. Born on the 23rd of May, 1899, Talley climbed to the top of the list of the world's longest living people. World's oldest woman dies, and a 116-year-old woman, who was officially the world's oldest person, has died in Michigan. Geraldine? Looks like Geraldine. Talley died on Wednesday at her home in Inkster, Inkster, Michigan. Her daughter Thelma Holloway confirmed the death. Holloway said Thursday that Thursday her mother, who was recently hospitalized and treated for fluid in her lungs, was but was grateful to return home. So she was just where she wanted to be at the time of her death. Talley just reached the 116-year-old milestone last month, born in Montrose, Georgia in 1899 is crazy if you think about it the 1800s she lived through like three centuries when you think of how far the world has come since the 1800s scary it is it's, it's like it's cool but it's also scary to be around for that length of time like two world wars taken technology like the whole computing thing happened entirely while she was alive like the industrial revolution almost happened while yeah she, she just caught the tail end of it so like, and here's a very scary statistic. Her husband died in 1988, age 95. Yeah, when your husband dies at 95 in 1988, you're going to assume you're soon following after. Not living for another 27 years. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a lifetime for some people. It is. It's longer than I've been alive. So what do you think her secret was? I don't know. Clean living. Usually, usually you see like Mediterraneans live live a long time because of like the the, the fruits and stuff. She was African American. Yeah, I don't know if that makes any difference. Which means good she, genes. She saw the the rise and fall of racism in the time she was alive. But like, like literally, she's like a microcosm of history. Yeah. Such a such a weird thing. It's weird to think there was still someone from the eighteen hundreds alive. Would you Would you like to live to that age, Gar? Not really. My aim is eighty ish, depending how well I move. So it's quality more than quantity. Yeah, a decent period of retirement and then sleep with the fishes. Rest in peace, Miss Tally. We'll miss you. We didn't know you, but we've been inspired by you and your gigantic, enormous life. I have about another about 90 odd years to get to as old as she lived. 90 years to go. A challenge accepted. Yeah. The end of the world is coming. The Pope says so. And he has a man on the inside. Questa nostra casa... Our house is going to ruin, and that harms everyone, especially the poorest. Mine is therefore an appeal for responsibility, based on the task that God has given to man in creation, till and keep the garden in which he was placed. I invite everyone to accept with open hearts this document, which follows the Church's social doctrine. The Pope says we're killing the world. The Pontiff was particularly critical of modern trends, the heedless worship of technology, our reliance on fossil fuels, and compulsive consumerism. The Pope said humanity's reckless behaviour has pushed Earth to the breaking point. Doomsday predictions, the Pope warned, can no longer be met with irony or disdain, which almost makes me feel bad for reading those first two paragraphs with a hint of irony and disdain. Like, whatever, Pope. Yeah. Cited the, he cited the scientific determination that global warming is an undeniable fact. Biz, big businesses, energy companies, short-sighted politicians, scurrilous scientists, laissez-faire economists, which I take 
objection to. Individual, uh, indifferent individuals, callous Christians, and myopic media professionals. He didn't leave anyone out there, did he? Yeah. He, nobody nobody, was, no nobody was safe from the Pope in, 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 his, in his tongue lashing. I'm surprised he didn't take out a dictionary of the world and read us all by name. <laughs> Everybody. But apparently the, the Pope is a former teacher, but he must also have a word of day calendar because some of those words I've never seen before in my life. Yeah. Scurrilous? Scurrilous. I thought scientists were the good guys. Do you have a quote from the Pope there, Gary? I'm going to put on my best Popey voice. The Earth, our home, is beginning to look more and more like an immense pile of filth. Didn't wow. hold back there, did he? <laughs> In many parts of the planet, the elderly lament that once beautiful landscapes are now covered with rubbish. Francis's bracing manifesto came Thursday in the form of an encyclical, which is a letter addressed from St. Peter's Square to the one billion or more Catholics across the globe worldwide. So it's kind of like a, a a newsletter read by the Pope. I like the way he has a, he has a newsletter. <laughs> he should send it out with MailChimp. He should have his blog. Yeah, Pope blog. Pope blog. But he's on Twitter now, isn't he? He is. Do you think he tweets himself or he gets someone to tweet for him? I like the idea of him tweeting himself, but he nearly definitely doesn't. Sitting on the throne of St. Peter going, yeah. hashtag bored. Pope throne. Pope throne. Wearing my Pope hat. Which isn't a metaphor for where he goes to poo. <laughs> Sitting on the Pope throne, sending out a tweet about the end of the world. The Pope said uh, in his letter addressed to every person living on this planet, I would like to enter a dialogue with people about our common f- home. He also set forth his 10 commandments for climate change. I like this. Do you think God was like, dude, back off. That's yeah. my thing. Gimmick infringement, yo. That's my, that's like, that's my thing. Like, why did you copy my, my, it's like, it's like the one thing I'm associated with. Yeah. Stop stepping on my toes, dude. Or else I put you in this job. I can take you (laughs) out of it. I figured we'd rate each of these out of 10 and what we think, how how important we think they are. So do you want to kick it off, Gar? Think of future generations. This is a good one. I think he led, he didn't bury the lead here. Yeah. I think thinking of future generations is a good one. He led with the the biggest guilt trip. It's like. Yeah. You're, you're not always going to be here, but other people will. Or we could take that the other way. It's like, well, screw that. We're not going to be here. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to be dead. What's it going to be to me? Yeah. Number two, embrace alternative energy sources. I would agree with that. Yeah. Fairness. Wind, sea, sun. Um, snails. Snails. Snails on treadmills. Mice on, also on treadmills. Humans on treadmills. We should just have human electricity factories. There's this fabric now you can get that actually charges your phone and you can you wear it and you walk around and it charges up. That's then, pretty cool. That's the kind of stuff that I'm interested in. Yeah. Because it's it's wearable technology. So there's no wires as such, but it's actually changing the world. Yeah. That stuff is actually practical as well. Rather than so like, Pope, we'll give, you, we'll give you a 10 on that one. Yep. Consider pollution's effect on the poor. Okay. That's What about, a, what about pollution's effect on everyone else? Yeah. I suppose it disproportionately affects the poor and they don't... Def- cause the pollution i suppose yeah everyone causes pollution though they do unless you do literally nothing you you cause pollution in some way shape or form yeah don't get me wrong i do i do appreciate that the poor are in a much much worse position than we are but i think it's an issue for all of us i think this is where this is where his his ten commandments start to falter take the bus is number four yeah. You see, this is where I think he has sa- an exclamation mark as well. I think he sat around with his with his like Pope advisors. It's like, you know, it'd be a great marketing idea if we have these these Ten Commandments for climate change. And they got to nine. And it's just like, oh, um, take the bus once in bus, a while. Bus, bus, good one. Bus. 
Not all of us have bus passes, Pope Francis. Yeah. Well, why don't we walk? I'll walk instead of bus. That's better than buses. Exactly. You didn't think that one true, did you, Popey? Take a walk once in a while, exclamation mark. Yeah. Number five, be humble. That seems like another made up one. Yeah, because like, I'm not sure what that would do to affect climate change. That's a that's a filler filler commandment right there. Yep, that is not honor your father or mother or something like that. Number six, don't become a slave to your phone. I don't see the connection between that and climate change. That's that's more his his consumerism deal. Oh, okay. He hates con- uh, compulsive consumerism, and the, the heedless worship of technology. Look, technology. We're eventually going to. There's like theories that we're going to have like artificial intelligence but humans are going to be artificial intelligence that they're going to like we're going to put computers literally into our brain yeah to make us smarter yeah so stop stop ragging on technology popey there's even rumors that we're going to have kind of pope or popes or like i think if a pope a robot was the pope that's the premise of a really cool film but also terrifying (laughs) robot pope but i read read something about robot priests might be a like a, a thing of the future and robot psychiatrists apparently psychiatrists might be better as robots because they, they don't really judge you and they they kind of see things as they are and they listen and they don't judge so priest robots like honor your father and mother yeah so i i think th- go in peace uh, well take the bus and humble are kind of filler but they're 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 noble in, t- in intention i think don't become a slave to your phone represents kind of a, a, a wrong approach it's technology that's going to help us fix climate change exactly and the scurrilous scientists are going to be the ones to figure it out yeah so next don't trade online relationships for real ones also seeming a little bit off topic to me yeah he seems to just be rambling now you know take the bus be humble and then he starts just kind of veering off oh in fairness he, he comes good in the end he comes back on topic now with the next one yeah eight is turn off the lights recycle and don't waste the food all good messages yep I, I i would agree i can't stand anyone that wastes food i think it's really arrogant i think food is a privilege and it's not something to be taken lightly indeed number nine educate yourself again a very very noble idea you know we can't stick our head in the sand this is a real issue and we need to know about it we need to talk about it because if we don't talk about it nothing happens and last but not least believe you can make a difference which i think in many ways is the most important one yeah that's the catch-all one because the the idea that if i turn off the lights in theory that's not going to help fix climate change you know if i recycle and if i turn off lights and if i use less electricity but if we all do it so you have to believe that you can make a difference knowing that everyone else is hopefully doing the same thing. If I were you, if I were to use an analogy that applies to all people, it's like, I don't need to vote for my favorite on the X Factor. They're going to win anyway. And then they get voted off. Yep. It's the same thing. It's like, I don't need to do anything about climate change. Everyone else is doing it. Then nobody does it. And we all witness the apocalypse. Don't let Earth get voted off, folks. It looks like Salt Lake City, Utah did not read the Pope's Ten Commandments. Utah Valley University is now making a texting lane. Utah University creates texting lane. A Utah University in Salt Lake City, to be exact, is giving students who can't stay away from their mobile phones a special lane for texting while walking. The neon green lanes painted on the stairs to the gym at the Utah Valley University were intended as a lighthearted way to brighten up the space and grab students' attention. The measure seems to have worked, in fact, Garrett, because a picture of the lane which divided the stairs into sections for runners, walkers, and texters went viral on social media this month after it was posted online. 
The lanes are currently only limited to the college's recreation centre, but many students have expressed their support for a campus-wide rollout. I remember last year China had something similar, where they started putting texting lanes on streets. Yeah. So the people who literally can't lift their head can just walk forward. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to, that's kind of a very good reflection of modern societies. We're going to phase out cycling lanes in favor of texting lanes. Yeah. Because we don't want you to kill yourself. Yep. You should have listened to the Pope and they're becoming slaves to their phones. The Pope is right. The Pope is going to go to Utah and, said, and start confiscating all their yeah, phones. Start paint, like, painting over the lines. You should be ashamed of yourself. They're sacrificing the online relationships for real relationships again. But like it is, it is like we had uh, kind of similar ads on TV in Ireland where people were going around on their mobile phones and they weren't looking, so they were almost walking into traffic. But mostly they were bumping into people and annoying them. Mm-hmm. So like the message I got from that ad is, quit looking at your phone or someone's going to beat the crap out of you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very much a reflection of modern society. But eh, as as long as we can stop people from walking into each other, that's that's good, isn't it? <laughs> Anything can go viral these days, really. That's quite yeah, innocuous. Yeah, pretty much. It's probably designed to go viral, honestly. It's not. It's not like something that that they they thought of as an initiative for the school. They're like, what can we do to trend on Twitter? Yeah, it's it's like we we want to attract people to come to university in Utah. Let's not show like the the scenic vistas and the mountains. You've been to Utah. You've seen it. Yeah, firsthand. Let's not show that. Let's state of Mormon. Let's get on Twitter. Yeah, let's get on Twitter. Let's get let's get shared on facebook a thousand times or ten thousand times that was your week in words next a word from our fabulous voiceover man robert and we will be right back in a jiffy with a new segment where we both offer a netflix gem for your viewing pleasure you're listening to the weekend show podcast with ken kidney download every sunday at soundcloud.com slash the weekend show Welcome back to the weekend show. Me and Gar were talking during the week and we decided we'd try and something new. So I think nearly probably 95% of our listenership, which is very high, don't check, uh, <laughs> has a Netflix account. So we're, we thought every week we'd give you a recommendation for something that we found particularly good on Netflix for you to check out. So, Gar, what have you got for us this week? Yeah, we know everyone has that problem on Netflix where you spend more time looking for something to watch than actually something watching something. Because we watched, after the podcast a couple of weeks ago, we were looking for something to watch on Netflix. We eventually settled on episodes after like 20 minutes. I'm very unsure about episodes. Yep, but that's not my pick. My pick is Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which is a Netflix uh, sitcom. There's only 13 episodes. Each episode is between 20 and 30 minutes. Yeah. Starring Ellie Kemper. It's essentially about, and this this would seem like a spoiler for most shows, but it's literally within the first three minutes of the show, yeah. where she's a, a member, a, the member of a doomsday cult who have been underground for years and finally have been discovered and leaders been arrested and they've been released into society. And they don't want to be released into society. Yeah. So mentally, she is the same age she was when she was kidnapped and forced into a doomsday cult, which is in her early teens. And she's released in that state as an adult into New York City. With a lot of money, I should add, she was given a lot of money by a, a campaign to support the the mole women. Yeah, as they're called. <laughs> the mole women. Spoiler: yes. the mole women. <laughs> they're called mole women. Uh, it's produced by Tina Fey. It's from the same people that did Thirty Rock. Yeah, it's a, it's a net. That's a very Irish way of saying Thirty. Thirty Rock. Thirty. But uh, yeah, it's the same people. Tina Fey's producer. She stars in it in a few episodes. Yeah, in a very small role. If you like Thirty Rock, I I, I don't think you've seen Thirty Rock. Yet. I haven't. It has very, very similar feel in terms of the kind of random jokes and mm. the, the pacing. 
and even the scoring is, is very very similar to 30 rock so if you're suffering from 30 rock with withdrawals this is the show for you Ellie Kemper is also extremely talented. She's so good in this. She's not new Pam anymore. She's actually something of her own. <laughs> For those who haven't seen, she was also in the US office. Where she replaced Pam as receptionist as what was essentially new Pam. New Pam, exactly. So, Grant, do you want to tell people some more about it? It's it's it's, it's a very upbeat show, you know. It's very cheery. It's about, you know, she's released from a doomsday cult, but they didn't really, they weren't unwilling participants. They weren't necessarily willing participants. But, you know, they, they'd crank the crank that they they were told that if they didn't stop, if they stopped doing it, the world would end. So they had to continue cranking the crank. And she, her rationalization for doing that was that she just do it 15 seconds at a time. So she'd do it for the first 15 seconds, slowly get tired, and then second 15 seconds, start again. So she lives life 15 seconds at a time. So the, the whole premise really is the fact that, surprise, surprise, she's unbreakable. So yep. she... This whole experience hasn't broken her, so she still has boundless optimism, which gets her into foibles at times. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the Ellie Kemper performance that's the highlight of the show. There's Ty- Titus Burgess's performance as Titus Andromedon. Yeah, it's not his real name, sadly. Oh, it's no. his, his made-up stage name because he's an <laughs> aspiring actor. Yeah. And there's also Jane Kukowski's, Jane Kukowski's uh, character, Jacqueline, which I thought was the least essential part of the show. Yeah, very similar to her character in 30 Rock as yeah. well. Kind of a... Um, the kind of aloof, rich person. Aloof, rich person, selfish, self-absorbed. Almost like they kind of just said, let's do another one yeah. of her. So I enjoy her. I actually really enjoy her kind of shtick. But at the same time, it did seem a bit lazy to me. But it's 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 such a positive, very kind of happy show. There's a, and it, they go for jokes constantly. Exactly. Yeah, they, they they don't kind of the rest of the laurels. It's not a show that's not trying to make you laugh. It's trying to make you laugh every single second. And they don't all land, but like you can really admire the fact that they try, mm-hmm. and the fact that and we've spoken about this before. It has an amazing theme song. Hey, once you watch this show, you will be breaking out. It's like unbreakable. Na 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 na. Don't spoil for, it, Gareth. You will be shouting unbreakable random for weeks to come. I I can attest to the fact that I have also seen the show and I was breaking out into the song on a regular basis for at least three and a half weeks mm-hmm. and people thought I was insane. That's Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt available on every and any form of Netflix. Because it's actually a Netflix original series so um, definitely check it out and tell us what you think on Twitter at TWSKK or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash TWSKK and we will tweet back to you and you will feel like you've reached out to a famous person or a god, if you will. Yes, we're interactive. Hashtag sorry, Pope. Or we're more important than the Pope. We're we're an interactive experience. Yeah, we don't just talk to people and tell them what to do. Okay, so my pick for this week is Wish I Was Here, which you might have heard uh, in the news, entertainment news a few years ago, because it's a Zach Braff film. It's co-written with his brother, Adam Braff. And he was offered money to do it in a studio, but he decided to use a Kickstarter campaign to fund it instead as a because uh, he wanted to have greater greater creative control you see that kind of gets on my nerves the, i understand the idea of wanting to maintain control of your project wanting because when you do with the studio you have very much have to adhere to the people who put up the money essentially but uh, he he could have done it without asking people for money for it that that really kind of irked me as well as in like you really didn't need to do it that way and they probably would have let you do what you want because it was such a low stakes film. Yeah. It's not as if you're investing millions upon millions in it. This isn't the Lone Ranger. It's not like, yeah, it's not like a hundred, two hundred, three hundred million blockbuster where they want results. So 
I thought it was kind of selfish of him, and I'm I am an, an admirer of of, of Zach Braff. I Who love doesn't scrubs. like Scrubs, yeah. Uh, he's kind of JD-ish in this film, which which people would appreciate. He wrote it himself, so and recent films that he's done, like well, not recent, you know, he's done a few films like Garden State, and they're kind of you know introspective, kind of mopey pieces, if I'm honest, or they weren't. They're kind of joyless, but he kind of goes, he he, he kind of delves into kind of emotion but he kind of relies on what he does best which is comedy so i i think he's kind of gotten back to his roots in that sense mm. uh basically the story is that he is a struggling actor who's living in a, a crappy house with his wife who's supporting the family where he lives his dream and his father who's a devout jew played by mandy patinkin i like mandy patinkin uh, everyone likes mandy patinkin i think yeah. from criminal minds and homeland and the princess bride was he in The Princess Bride? He was. He I was, didn't know that. He was like one of the main characters. I've never actually seen The Princess Bride. Yeah. Well, also, uh, like, micro recommendation, see The Princess Bride. It's yeah. magical. There's rumors of a remake, isn't there? Yeah, I'm not supportive of that. Remakes are always risky. No, only risky. It's just lazy and, yeah. and just just cheap. But anyway, uh, he, 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 the father pays for the children's private school, private school on the condition that they go to a, an Orthodox Jewish school. <laughs> But he his cancer returns, and he decides to spend all his money as on a like a last hope, uh, basically, quack science cancer cure to see if he can uh, can beat cancer. So he pulls the funding, and then Zach Braff has to homeschool his kids, and they they learn something from each other. So he as well as this sounds corny, as well as him teaching them, they teach him. That's in a very elaborate setup just to get to Zach Braff's having to homeschool his children. Yeah, it is quite elaborate, and it does tread similar ground uh, as his as uh, as his previous films. Kind of like, you know, what is uh, what is life? What what is are you know your relationships with people? How important they are. Um, so, like in that sense, it's not breaking any new ground, but I found it thoroughly enjoyable. It's actually a very funny film. Uh, it stars uh, Pierce Gagnon. Now you might have seen him in Tomorrowland. He's like kind of precocious young kid, and uh, Joey King also a precocious young actor. Really perfect casting. They really kind of complemented the the zaniness of Zach Braff. Uh, Kate Hudson plays his wife, and it has a really fun cameo for fans of The Big Bang Theory uh, from Jim Parsons, who's a kind of uh, a a friend or acquaintance of Zach Braff's character. So. Uh, basically it's it's kind of their journey as they kind of get to know each other better and the struggles of the family because you know there's financial troubles and he has to kind of confront the fact that his dad isn't uh his dad is 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 possibly dying and him trying to become a man in time to make his father proud but also to to make his kids proud because they kind of think he's a bit of a loser <laughs> so um some of the dialogue is a bit sappy a little bit kind of uh sentimental for sentimental sake bit of hugging and learning is it yeah it's like you can do anything and you're beautiful and and i want you to think that you're beautiful like like it's sappy for sappy's sake almost it just mm-hmm. seems like it's just like it doesn't fit into dialogue of the film it's just like i'm going to be inspirational here by putting in an inspirational line but it doesn't make much sense overall it's got i think it's got three and a half star rating i would probably agree with that i uh and it's just it's just a kind of nice film. It's not it's not too long. It's kind of it comes in at less than two hours, and it's not going to hurt. It, Netflix have been pr- kind of promoting it a bit, 
because they recently acquired it. And uh, if you if you like Zach Braff, um, if you want to have your heart strings tugged a little bit, because Manny Patinkin is quite good at that. He's quite good at the at, at the kind of the uh, the quiet emotion. Yeah, definitely check it out. It's on Netflix and it's widely available across Netflix because again, it's a, a Netflix property. Coming up next in our spotlight, we recap some of the most exciting gaming revelations from this week's E3 conference. You're listening to the Weekend Show Podcast with Ken Kidney. The eyes of the video game world centered on Los Angeles this week as the Electronic Entertainment Expo, better known as E3, took place. The world's biggest video game makers, including Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, Bethesda, EA, Ubisoft, and Square Enix, came to show a glimpse of what they have coming in 2015 and beyond. E3 is generally the highlight of the gaming calendar each year, as publishers seek to make the biggest reveals and pull out all the stops for the show. So we're going to start talking about the Microsoft conference, because every year, people, uh, the major studios kind of do a conference where it's like, this is what we have coming, and this is yeah. these are the games you, you can be excited about. I'm going to put a disclaimer here. I'm not the biggest gamer in the world, and I did not watch the conference, but I read your tweet. Yep. I did tweet. I did extensively live tweet these shows or these conferences. Ken plays. You still haven't finished Pokemon Black or White, whichever White you want. White. I have a. I have a DS. That's that's. Yeah, Ken's more of a handheld handheld gamer. Yeah, and I I do enjoy the odd mobile game. Mm. And there is the odd game that will excite me into buying a console, and then I'll regret it. You bought an Xbox and a GameCube at one stage or another. But or as I just like I like the last game I bought I think like I bought Iron Man but I didn't play it I had to watch someone else play because I found it too hard. <laughs> it wasn't a very good game either. I just, I just wanted to see what it looked like and I bought Ghostbusters because I love Ghostbusters. But you also didn't play I don't think. Yeah, it's really, that was actually quite hard as well. Yeah, or you're just not very good at games. No, not very good at games. So Microsoft, uh, they revealed Halo Five and Gears of War Four, which were kind of two of the big expected franchises out of them it's kind of standard stuff really yeah for but an announcement. it's their basic first person shooter stuff that you'd expect out of them i'm not a fan of first person shooter. i think they all end up melding into the same yeah. kind of game is there any actual advancements in these games any changes <sighs> they look prettier that's <laughs> it's the first ones on next gen so that's gonna yeah have to... i suppose you don't want to reinvent the wheel either mm, the... incremental change kind of is what works with the mass audience you're like hey that was different it's too different i don't want it anymore they also announced backward compatibility, so you can play Xbox 360 games on Xbox One now. And there's quite a large catalogue out here. Yeah. I, I'm not sure how to feel about that, because on the one hand, it's it should have been there in the first place. That's my problem, you see. Yeah. But does it di- di- uh, disincentivize buying the console? Uh, not at all. I think the, the very opposite, because you have, you know, in between big releases for the Xbox One, you can go back and play your Xbox 360 games. And or... your games don't get left behind and stuff. Yeah, but my problem is they remade a lot of Xbox 360 games and re-released them on Xbox One. And so now... It's, so it's kind of like like in a movie where they do a kind of a post-3D conversion, so it's not really yeah. as good as it, as it should be. It's essentially just moving it from one to the other while saying, it's like, oh, look, it runs kind of smoother. And it's in HD, possibly. Even though it was pretty much in HD the first time because yeah. the Xbox 360 was a HD console. And now they're saying, well, if you had that game in the first place, you can play it on the Xbox One now. So you might have bought one of those games, say Devil May Cry, for instance. They, they moved that one from Xbox 360 to Xbox One. You might have bought that game for Xbox One. And now you, if you owned it in the first place, you can just play your original copy. So that, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. PlayStation still don't have backward compatibility, though, which rubs me even further the wrong way. So it kind of gyps the the consumer in a way the person who's kind of been loyal and bought all the updates and stuff like yeah. that but then again 
you know, you're, I think that's maybe a strategy. So like you get the first wave and the second wave. So you will get the first wave of people who have to have it straight away yep. at, at Christmas, say, because they always release them at Christmas. And the second wave when they drop the price and then th- like to, to catch all the rest of the people who are on the fence, they bring in the backwards compatibility. Do you think it's a strategy in that sense? It, it might well be because PlayStation are the only next gen console that don't have backward compatibility now. Because uh, the Wii U play, can play Wii games, the 3DS can play DS games, and now the Xbox One can play Xbox 360 games. Whereas the PlayStation 4 can still only play PlayStation 4 games. So it makes them look a little bit stuck in, stuck in the past, and they have no intention of bringing forward. I think backward compatibility should be a standard in the industry. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Don't go back as far as, like, PlayStation. Yeah, you know, it's it's not reasonable to expect your PlayStation and PlayStation Two games to still work on a PlayStation Four. Yeah, because the technology is so much more. Yeah, advanced. I don't think it's unreasonable to want your PS Three games to play on a PS Four. No, I, I mean like it's it's like it's for for one thing, it's just a sheer waste of money. Yeah, unless you keep the console, but then that's cumbersome. It, like you know, you have a load of consoles, and like people don't like that either. So you're just going to upset your user base. Uh, so there's news. In the Minecraft direction, isn't there, Gareth? Uh, they, Microsoft recently acquired it for about two billion, I think. Yeah, that's a lot of money, but they're going to make it back, I'd say. Okay. But uh, they they announced their virtual reality headset, the Hololens. Okay. Which they then used to display micro uh, Minecraft. I think they want they showed right. off Minecraft in virtual reality. So, how does that work? It looked pretty mind boggling when they first showed it because you put on this headset and then you have kind of a flat desk, just yeah. like a, kind of a square. And then the Minecraft world just appeared on the desk. And it's like, oh my God, it's Minecraft in real life. But surely that's just a, a realization rather than what the yeah, actual it, experience will be. Yeah, it's, it's not actually there. But my problem with virtual reality is, one, I don't really care for it. I don't like the idea of having something on my face while playing a game. Yeah. But two, it's going to be so expensive. And the technology, I guarantee, will be inconsistent at best. It's got to be thousands, I'd yeah. say. Yeah, on top of the console, this is going to cost at least another thousand. And and then like as you say, it's gonna be patchy. It's gonna be glitchy. Uh, it, it's not gonna work right. Yeah. I mean, I, as you uh, uh, we can like talked about it before. It took Nintendo till the, the the most recent DS to kind of get the 3D right. Yep. They kind of rushed it to market because they wanted to have something new, but it was kind of a, a trick. I think I think it wasn't real. Yep. And anytime you moved it, it disappeared. So yeah. I never played games with 3D on. But now they've actually mastered it. So like, they kind of like. Well, we kind of had it before, but we have it now. Yeah, the so. super stable th- eye tra- tracking 3D, they call it now. One of the most exciting things that I looked at from in my research for this piece was Cuphead. Cuphead, yeah, it looked so good, didn't it? For for those listening at home, Cuphead is basically a game, but the visuals look like a, a traditional animation from maybe the 30s. Yeah, think of those original Disney cartoons, this kind of Steamboat Willies, that kind of stuff. Kind of like Popeye, things like that. Yeah, that, that visual style. Like it just boggles my mind how, like, because I see things like usually you see uh, characters and games made up of pixels. Yeah. And like as much as you can make sp- smooth pixels and you know photorealistic, I don't understand how you can make a two D game, but they also move like and a three D object. Hand drawn. The entire game is hand drawn, which really adds to the charm. Like. Like I've said this a moment ago, like there's occasions when I am compelled to actually buy games, and this yep. is one of them because it's available. It's an Xbox One exclusive, but it'll also be available on Microsoft, so it'll be probably up on Steam. Uh, I will be checking it out uh, mm. at least if I can get a free trial. I want to have a look at it for myself, and maybe we'll go into more detail in a future podcast. It's out in 2016, so if our podcast lasts that long, I have extreme confidence in our podcast. Yep. Another another announcement there from Microsoft or 
Yeah, there was Unravel, which uh, had its mascot, Yarny, which uh, it, it reminded me a little too much of Yoshi. Because yeah. Nintendo have Yoshi's Woolly World out. It's at the end of this month in Europe, uh, later in the year in the US. Spoilers. Then we're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah. But uh, Yoshi's Woolly World. So it's uh, it's, it's kind of a, a tiny little yarn thing running yeah. through the world, using his yarn to solve puzzles and get over obstacles. What is with the trend towards having characters in yarn these days? Well, it started with Kirby's Epic Yarn, which was yeah. a, a Wii game in 2010, which was one of the better looking Wii games. Like stylistically, it looks so good. Same with Yoshi's Woolly World, which is out in a week. It looks so nice. And did you see those Yoshi Amiibo? Yes. They're, they're the most adorable things on earth. Because it's such a cle- Amiibos are such a clever thing because yep. children will want all of them. Yep. And like they they and it's kind of good value because they're not too expensive and they they add value to the game. But you can actually like I've seen children use them as actual toys. As yeah, well. they're toys in their own right. They're, yeah. the, the kind of build quality of them is very good, especially yeah. those Yoshi ones. Those Yoshi ones are like some of the the nicest looking toys you could buy a kid. Or even you could have it as a collectible. Perhaps. It is, yeah. They keep in the box if you're a horrible human being who keeps things in boxes. Yeah. But the game looked quite interesting. Unravel. Yarny looks like a cute little mascot. But it just reminded me too much of Yoshi. Will you be purchasing? I might. We'll see. We'll see how reviews go. Moving on now to the Sony conference. What's the big news from Sony this year, Gar? Uh, they announced The Last Guardian, which was in development for seven years before finally being announced. Which is an astounding length of time in today's gaming world where a new Assassin's Creed game is literally churned out every year. Every now. single year. Whereas this is from the same people who made uh, Ico and uh, Shadow of the Colossus. Shadow of Colossus is one of the most kind of va- much vaunted games of, of the PlayStation 2 generation. And so that tells you just how long they've been developing this game. They haven't released the game since. Seven years. And it's they still didn't announce a date. It's still only in development. They still showed a trailer which visually looked nice but looked rough in places. Yeah. And it's about essentially a man and his weird bird dog thing. Yeah. How do, you, how, do you, how do you spend seven years in a game and people still get paid? Yep. Uh, there's, and there's, there's been rumors it's been cancelled there was rumors you know they're not going ahead with it and this year they finally showed it it's still going to be a long old while until we see it I'd say minimum very minimum Christmas 2016 probably it might, later it might make an interesting campaign for for the promotion like a game that's a decade in the making but then again if it's not very good they'll be like I waited 10 years <laughs> for this you spent this long making this game and it still doesn't work they also announced Horizon Zero Dawn, which I thought was one of the better games of the entire conference. It looked really, really neat because it's, I saw it described as post, post-apocalyptic. What, what, what would that mean? So we've already had the apocalypse. We've already had all the trees covering everything. The world is shut down. And then we're in the world after that. What's left over? And there's giant mechanical dinosaurs you have to kill. I am sold on this one. It has, it's Jurassic Park with metal dinosaurs instead of it's robots meets dinosaurs yep what else do you need take my money how much money do you want that's from the same people who made uh kill zone i think a new hitman game this year i really like the hitman games i, I think it's really they're really neat games they're really, usually the level design is really good where there's like multiple ways you can go about killing people there's multiple ways you can go about you know setting up intricate assassinations or just run through the door and shoot everybody if you like uh but so this is they're not they're reluctant to call it a reboot it's still part of the hitman chronology uh, there is no subtitle you know usually it's hitman absolution or hitman blood money there's usually hitman uh, colon something else but this one is just hitman uh they seem to be going back to the roots of just cool ways of killing people 
Sales games. And also there's a Hitman film out this year, so you can imagine they wanted the co-promotion there. That's what we call it, one of our favourite words on the podcast, Gar. Synergy. The synergy between the studio and the thing, and the, the game studio. Next up, Gar, I'm sure you're very excited, because this was one of the very first games you ever played. It was, it was one of the first games I fell in love with. It's the Final Fantasy VII Remake. If you if you saw my Twitter the morning this was announced, because it was rumbling started rumbling that morning that the Final Fantasy VII Remake was going to be a thing. And I tweeted, oh, I don't really want a Final Fantasy Remake because, you know, oh, I'm happy with the old one. Then they showed the trailer and my, my next tweet is to disregard what I said this morning. I do want a Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, Square, because when the original PlayStation 3 was released, uh, a kind of software demo to prove what the PlayStation 3 was capable of was the opening scene of Final Fantasy VII in HD. And ever since then, people have been saying, well, where's our HD remake? And that was 2006, so we're nearly a decade later, and they finally actually announced it. Because every time they were asked, they're like, nope, we're not actually doing one. That was just a software. That was just kind of a test demo to showcase the hardware. But now they're finally like, okay, we're going to make a Final Fantasy VII remake. Are they updating the characters? As in, like, are they, like they're not going to be like little tiny guys? They're anymore? not going to be the tiny blocky blobs anymore, no. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a remaster. It's not just taking the original game and making it look better. This is a, a ground up reimagining of the whole thing. So it's going to be different in terms of story? I think there's certain things they'd have to fix. Because yeah. the, the original game has very weird kind of sex dungeon elements. Right. That's not going to work in HD. You know, you can kind of get away with it with the weird blocky characters where you can't really tell what's going on. Yeah. But in HD, it's going to look super creepy. Yeah. So they're going to have to kind of maybe PG it up a bit. I or? think they might have to tweak it here and there. But they are, and they'll change story bits, which will annoy the heck out of nerds. Like, probably me. I'll be like, no, it's different. I hate it. Change is terrible. Yeah. But it's going to make them so much money. Because the, the Square Enix who make the game, their stock jumped when they announced it. Yeah. And like they kind of they kind of tend to do that now, don't they? They kind of tend to make sequels to Final Fantasy games, but they're not sequels. They're kind of add-ons or something like that. Yeah, they don't tend to... They don't tend to release new Final Fantasy games that much anymore, do they? Well, 15 is in development. I think they still have it set for 2015. I'm skeptical of that. I think we'll see it next year at the earliest. Too ex- too expansive to, to kind of get on stream this year, perhaps. Yeah, because if they don't get it by Christmas, they're definitely not going to release it this year. No, I mean, like, that that seems to be the kind of pr- the prevailing rule, isn't it? Like, I mean, a game might be ready, nearly ready to go, but if you can't have it on the shelves by Christmas, yep. it's absolutely useless. If you can have it on the shelves by, say, January, you're not going to release it for another few months. Which was hold it. one of the reasons, like, some people say the worst game of all time is E.T. Some people say it's not that bad, <laughs> but it was made in a month. They buried it in the desert. <laughs> I watched a documentary, also on Netflix, sneaky Netflix recommendation. I can't remember what it's called, so you're going to have to Google it. Uh, I'll, I'll get it for you next week, the name for it. Maybe I'll make, make it my recommendation. So put a pin in that. My recommendation for coming for next week is the E.T. documentary, and I'm going to tell you more about it next week. Find out why they buried a bunch of cartridges in the desert. Cliffhanger. So what we're talking about, Final Fantasy. Yeah, they, they, and I think because Nintendo delayed the, legend, the new Legend of Zelda game as well, and I think it was the very same reason that they knew they wouldn't be able to get it out by Christmas. Perhaps predictably Uncharted 4. That's their big one. Which they uh, they also delayed out of 2015 to 2016. Which, that was actually a very big theme of Sony's conference. These are games that look really, really cool, but you're not going to get to play them this year. Yeah, you're like, you're going to get to play them sometime middle of next year, late next year at the earliest. It's like fans were beginning to worry why they showed up this year at all. Why yep. didn't it not just show up next year? And you see, people, if you ask most people, they'd say Sony 1E3. 
which is interesting because they didn't announce much you can actually play between now and Christmas. And uh, Uncharted 4 is their kind of tentpole franchise. They're saying it's going to be the last game in the Uncharted series. Until they reboot it. Until they reboot it. They're releasing a, a HD remake of the, the other three games. Persistent in, rumors of a film as well. In a package. They're trying to get the film off the ground, yeah. It's it's made by Naughty Dog, who made The Last of Us, and who you'd know from like Crash Bandicoot games. Naughty Dog make good games. Uncharted games are like, they take a cinematic action film and put it in your hands, which is kind of a really neat way of going about making a game. That's what I've always said. I don't play those games. Uh, I'm not good enough to play those <laughs> games, but they do have a cinematic feel, which is really, really cool. It's like you're, you're in the movie, which appeals to the kid and all of us, I think. Yep. And then last but not least is No Man's Sky, which is a very interesting game. It's a space exploration. I kind of think of it as Minecraft in space. Or Minecraft in yeah, space. There's a bunch of these randomly generated planets that you can all go to and visit and do things on. And it's in, in terms of like sheer scope and visuals, it looks like one of the biggest games probably ever made. But it looks a bit aimless at the moment. You yeah, know, it's all well and good to have all these planets that you can go to, but what what do you actually have to do? So they, you can think they focus on building a world and just like making it as expansive as possible. But maybe they didn't have a direction in mind. Yeah, like why do you go to these? What's the, because it's all well and good building all the planets, but you need a reason to go there. Yeah. You know, you need a reason to visit all of them. Do you en- like on a side topic? Do you enjoy a game that has no real aim? There, there is a trend, especially in indie gaming development, to have open world platforms that don't necessarily have a goal. Is that a game you enjoy? I played a lot of. I won't say I played a lot of Minecraft because there's people out there that have played much more Minecraft than I have. But Minecraft is a fun game. Minecraft is the kind of game that you can just plop in, wander around, break some blocks, build something random, and leave. Yeah. So it, it depends on just how fun it is, really, doesn't it? Yeah, but like you, you I think at Christmas time, you got some games that kind of follow that kind of trend where it's kind of just wandering around for the sake of wandering around. Yeah, and there's some indie games that like are very artsy about that kind of stuff that yeah. end up being extraordinarily pretentious. Almost boring. Almost boring, yeah, where you're just wandering around and then stuff happens and it's like, look, it's all cool looking and artsy, but it's like, no, it's boring. Like that's not the purpose of a game. It's just a, and then it's kind of almost like a moving, uh, interactive video as such. Yeah. More than a game. It's like a point and click game. So I like, I like this. Nintendo didn't call it theirs a conference. They actually gave it a fancy title. Yeah, it's a digital event because they don't do the on stage thing anymore. They actually released kind of a, a, it was a fifty-one minute video, I think. Yeah. So they do like a very tightly produced fifty-one minute package of here's everything we have instead of standing on a stage because that's the thing you watch all these conferences. Game developers aren't the best public speakers, you know. Well, they are all nerds. Yeah, they're standing there, they're stuttering through their lines, they're kind of mumbling. They're they're not the best at presenting things. Whereas Nintendo take that and they cram it into a fifty-one minute video and say, "Here we are." And uh, they started with something you'd love, Ken. They made Muppets. I actually watched this because you tweeted it to me and you recommended it. You you said they were actually made by the Jim Henson company. Yeah, they were made by the the folks at Jim Henson. They they made puppets of Satoru Iwata, who's the president of Nintendo, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto, who made Mario. He's literally one of the greatest men alive, and Ready Philomi, who's uh, head of Nintendo of America, and they made Muppets of all of them along with some of the Star Fox characters. Miyamoto, like, do you think he's like one of the richest men alive now? Surely he is. I don't know how much of a cut he gets at these games. Because he works for Nintendo, but does he make any of the profits? But like, like Mario, like, and all the spin-offs make so like it's, it's the best of, selling video game franchise like, of all time. Would you hazard a guess at how much money the Mario and Mario spin-offs make for Nintendo out of their entire gross billions, 
tens of billions. Mario games have made so much money. And Miyamoto is, is like, he's a genius. It's, it's fascinating to watch him speak because all of his games kind of tie back to, to elements of his childhood and elements of his own life. Like the dungeons in The Legend of Zelda are kind of caves he explored as a child. And Star Fox, uh, you know, the character comes from like shrines in, in, in uh, areas of Japan that he lives. So it's actually really fascinating to see. This is a man who takes things from his own head and, and looks at them in a way that can kind of develop them into a real world idea that people can enjoy and engage with. So that's the, that's kind of a level of imagination and 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 vision that that you don't see every day. He's a genius. He's undeniably a genius. And they turned him into a muppet. <laughs> fantastic yeah. check out the video it's on youtube i think you can yeah all these conferences you can watch all these conferences on youtube but uh let's get to the games they announced star fox zero which is the latest kind of incarnation of star fox star fox has kind of had had a rough time lately he hasn't had a game in quite a while yeah and people didn't really care much for for some of his more recent games on handhelds and on the gamecube was he involved in the latest smash brothers he was star fox is one of the original smash He's one. Yeah. Of, he's a smash OG, if you will, Ken. Was was that with a view to bringing him back? Do you think that was? His... I think that's kind of, kind of part of the the charm of the Smash Bros series. Even these characters, because people badly wanted a new Metroid game as well, and they kind of got one here. But we'll talk about that in a second. But people badly wanted a new Metroid game. But at least you get Samus as a character in Smash, and you get Pit or all these characters, all these lovable Nintendo characters who aren't necessarily starring in their own games. You, you at least keep them alive. You keep them kind of at the forefront of people's minds by putting them in games like Smash or adding them as characters in, say, Mario Kart. But Star Fox is, is back. It looks very much like Star Fox 64. I think that's the idea. Star Fox 64 is generally considered the best of the Star Fox games. So kind of a retro vibe. Yeah, but kind of remaking it with modern eyes using the gamepad. But like, again, like like if you can kind of bridge the future while acknowledging the past yep. and tapping into that nostalgia element... That's kind of the kind of thing that sells games, sells tickets. That's why I like Jurassic Park. Exactly. Or Jurassic World, which has made half a billion dollars in the last week. We, we didn't speak about that. We should maybe have referenced it in the week in where it's half a billion dollars. In three, four days. Crazy. It's, it's I can't even put it into words. It's it's ridiculous. It's history. It is. It's the, the highest grossing film over three days ever. It had the highest grossing Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and it had the highest grossing Monday and Tuesday as well, but non-holiday Monday. It's crazy, but uh, it does. It did exactly what it said on the tin, and that's probably why people have flocked to see it because they got what they wanted out of it. Yep. But we're getting sidetracked back to the game, Scar. Yep. Next up is Super Mario Maker, which is a game I quite badly want. This premise extraordinarily simple: make your own Mario levels, then share them online and download other people's, and that's it. That's the kind of thing that could that could make trillions of dollars. Yeah. Go to the Nintendo World Championships videos where the Nintendo held an event on the Sunday of E3 where they had people just playing their games and the best people won. And the finals of that were four uh, Mario levels created by the folks in the Nintendo Treehouse who are kind of the, the developers and people who localize games in the Treehouse. And they're crazy. There's just like uh, Bowsers on top of Bowsers. There's a, a, a point where you had a choice of four doors and only one was the right one, and they walked through the wrong door, and there's just three Bowsers on top of each other coming right at you, <laughs> uh, trying to kill you. It's it's bonkers. You can do whatever you like. You can put Koopa Troopers into question blocks. You can have walls of fire. You can literally do whatever you like, and it's really cool because they have the four different art styles. Yeah. So they have the classic Mario Bros. style from 85, then Mario 3, Mario World, and then kind of the modern Mario U, and you can switch between them, and everything is represented in each kind of world and style. 
that's the kind of game that ca- uh, captures my imagination and i really feel as if again that's something that I, that as a non-gamer would appeal to me because it's like my, the the enjoyment of it doesn't depend on skill necessarily yep. imagination and ingenuity so that's definitely what i'll be checking out as well and i just i think that that it's going to be one that's going to be like huge online i think it's going to be yep. around and for years to come because uh historically mario has had quite a kind of vibrant modding community like uh, i think it's kaizu mario it's called where people have modded the super mario world game to create these kind of crazy stupidly hard (laughs) mario levels and now you can do that legally (laughs) and it's a really great idea in the game you can't upload a level online until you finished it yourself that's really neat that's a really smart thing so you can't upload an unfinishable level which i think is a really smart idea and the difficulty online isn't determined by you you don't say this is a hard level when people play it, the difficulty is determined by the number of people that finish it. So it's kind of a very organic system. Yeah, that's like that, like that's genius in itself. I mean, yeah. to, to to implement put a, implement a system like that in in itself is difficult and like mind boggling and and revolutionary. But like to to put in place the building blocks to create your own game within a game. I mean, how long has this been in development? It sounds like something that's that's just. It's crazy. Apparently, apparently, it's the tool that they actually created for themselves. You know, this okay. is this is the tool they created for themselves to actually make Mario levels themselves. And they were like, "Well, if we kind of add crazy things to this and package up and sell it, this would be really cool for people to play and make their own Mario levels." And people will. I I I, I like as I said, like you're going to pull in people who are casual gamers as yep. well, which is a, a market that you really want to tap into if you want to sell it into in hundreds of, of, of millions of units. And Mario Maker is out in September. Star Fox is out, uh, they say holiday 2015, which I guess is around September 20, or November 20th. Yeah. Just in time for Black Friday, I'd imagine, in the US. Uh, next is Yokai Watch, which could be huge. Because uh, this, this has essentially been the new coming of Pokemon in Japan. What what does it involve? Uh, it's kind of you go around with this watch thing, catching ghosts, and then you battle with the ghosts. Okay. I think the battles are generally three on three as well, and it's made by the folks at Level Five, who who are known for making very kind of visually appealing games as well. Yeah. You you saw me play Nino Kuni, didn't you? Yeah. That uh, that same studio, that kind it's of art really style. Really pretty. It's like it a is. work of art. And are the, the ghosts have like they have different characters, different themes, like yep. the Pokemon? It's essentially Pokemon with. They're, they're ghosts. <laughs> Poke ghosts. Yep. And it, it could be huge. It uh, uh, Like Pokemon, there's like animes and mangas, that kind of stuff to accompany it, which I I have no doubt will also be brought over to the US. Nintendo, I think, are banking on this as their next Pokemon. But kids kids buy into this stuff. Yep. Once you market a property, like, I mean, I buy the toys. bonkers over Pokemon when yep. I was a child. And, and Yu-Gi-Oh! and a bit of Beyblade on the side. I was never a Beyblade kid, but it did take over my school at one stage. Yeah. Literally anything where you have to collect them all. Yep, and it, you, you could like taunt your friend that you got this card and they don't have it. Yeah. But that, that's I think that's if it works, it's going to be the latest thing to make Nintendo a lot of money because the Pokemon series still makes Nintendo so much money. It still sells like tens of millions of copies every single iteration. Next up is a game you might uh, you played Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story. So I did. I never finished it because it got hard. Yeah, but Mario and Luigi Paper Jam they announced, which is the Mario and Luigi style, the, the kind of RPG games mixed with the Paper Mario games. So you have Paper Mario and the Mario and Luigi stuff in the same game, which looks really cool in terms of art style. Those games are usually really funny. They're really weird and quirky. Yeah, and the dialogue they go for humor. 
And uh, mixing those kind of two classic styles, I think, will make for a really neat 3DS game. That was the kind of a theme. They were very 3DS heavy at E3. Because, well, they've sold more 3DSs than we use at this stage. And last was kind of the most controversial game at uh, Nintendo's digital event, Metroid Federation Force. People desperately wanted a new Metroid game because they had a Metroid Other M in, I think it was 2010, and people didn't really care for that. So it's been a long time since they've had a Metroid Prime game, a main series Metroid game. Uh, And then they announced this kind of weird multiplayer Metroid game for 3DS, and people were like, no, I don't want it. And it has Blast Ball as well, which is this weird game where you're shooting a football to try and get into the goal. Yeah. Which is strange. Which I, I, it had a really neat mechanic, I think, where when you score a goal, your opposition's goal gets smaller. Uh-huh. So it's a little harder to score next time. So it kind of balances the game a little. That's interesting. But mm. you, you think that people just felt a bit, bit gypped by it? Yeah, there was change.org's uh, petitions to get a new Metroid and give out about it. It's like, guys... <laughs> get over it <laughs> so it got a bit of nerd rage yeah I, I guarantee it'll be a fun game and it's interesting all nearly all of these games are 2015 games yeah or early 2016 games and they announced mario tennis as well which i like mario tennis i like the mario sports games oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah serve <laughs> but nintendo and playstation had kind of very diametrically opposed strategies here where nintendo has said this is a bunch of stuff it's small it's relatively practical that you're going to get to play this year whereas playstation were like here are these huge big games that you're not going to get to play for a while and people were like great job playstation nintendo you suck <laughs> so i don't know nintendo didn't have a great e3 there wasn't i think they lacked kind of that big big kind of one big, big punch, release yeah that big punchy announcement but i think I watched a bunch of the Treehouse stuff where they play through a bunch of these games yeah. and they looked like a lot of fun. I think Nintendo will be fine and they have a really good 20, 2015 Wii U release schedule with Mario Maker and Yoshi's Woolly World and Xenoblade and Star Fox. So I think Nintendo will be all right and they announced a bunch of stuff for 3DS. So lots of cool stuff to look forward to in the next few months and years. Feel free to let us know which games you are most looking forward to on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash TWSKK and on Twitter at TWSKK. We will be right back to say goodbye. You're listening to the Weekend Show Podcast with Ken Kidney. Download every Sunday at soundcloud.com slash the weekend show. Okay, guys. So if you're out there listening in podcast land, thank you for taking the time to click play on the podcast. You can find a new episode every Sunday at soundcloud.com forward slash the weekend show. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash TWSKK and on Twitter at TWSKK. And I meant what I said. Please let us know what your thoughts are on the show and some of the elements. We love interacting and we would be happy to get some feedback. Our theme music is by Mr. Dron. And until next time, say goodbye, Gar. Bye bye. Take it easy, everybody. Bye.